Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can schedule sessions based on what's most convenient for you, and you don't have to wait weeks to be seen. And BuzzFeed Daily listeners can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed. Go to Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed for 65% off your first month. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. Peacock Streaming. The biggest sports and live events on the planet. From Super Bowl 56. What a game this is. To complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. Streaming every event, every day. Yes! It's all the unprecedented. United States wins gold. Unstoppable. Sensational. Unbelievable. Sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Everybody, I'm Rachel Bonetta, and I have my very own podcast called Benched with Bonetta. You kidding me? Woo! I'm just here so I won't get fined. Every week, I'm going to be talking about all the things I find fascinating about the NFL, and I'm doing something that has never been done before. I'm opening my DMs. DMs now open. <laughs> Listen every Tuesday and join me on the bench. Subscribe now and listen to the Benched with Bonetta podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're switching things up this week, featuring some of our favorite conversations we've had this year on BuzzFeed Daily. Today, we're all about streaming shows. First up is a delightful chat with the intimacy coordinator for Netflix's Bridgerton. And then we get to hear from the creator and executive producer of Shrill on Hulu. It's June 2nd, 2021. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Shyla Watson. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. I think it's safe to say that one of the biggest TV events of 2021 has undoubtedly been Netflix's smash hit series, Bridgerton. I think it's also safe to say the primary reason for that is all of the sex. <laughs> Back in January, former BuzzFeed Daily host Zach Stafford and I got a chance to talk with the series intimacy coordinator, Lizzie Talbot. Hi, Lizzie. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, of course. We're so excited. So we know your most recent project was Bridgerton, and we have so many questions about that. We will get to them all. But first, how did you become an intimacy coordinator? How did that even start? Yeah, so uh, I trained as a fight director for quite Ah. a few years, and um, it was really interesting seeing the contrast between um, scenes of violence and then scenes of intimacy. And when they came together in scenes of domestic violence, it was really interesting because we never had any issues with the violence because there are so many safety protocols and um, techniques that we would use to make that safe um, and, and believable. And yet when it came to the intimacy, like that's when sort of everyone started to, to struggle, like directors would, would mime things um, because they didn't want to talk about it. And uh, people were resting on the good graces of their scene partners, which we know isn't like always the safest thing to do. Um, so I just started researching it. And um, in 2016, I opened my own company and uh, kind of gone from there. Wow. 
Wow, that's amazing. So was this a field that even existed before you began working on it? How long has it been around for? Not very long. Some people have done like individual research on this, but it hasn't come together as a role uh, until sort of like 2017, 2018. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of people think that it's a product of the the very public Me Too movement of 2017, but actually like lots of people were working on this beforehand. We just didn't get any traction. Um, so, yeah, I ran a workshop in 2016 and got one person. So, wow. <laughs> So that'll tell you like how much this has escalated in the last couple of years. And why do you think it is escalating? Because I do know that we every time we have any actor on the show now, they always bring up an intimacy coordinator and this was never happening years ago. I think studios sort of, they really took on what was happening with the Me Too movement. And I know it's it's not perfect. We've still got a long way to go, but they started to listen And they started to listen to actors who had said, you know, for years that they felt unsafe or um, have just started to be able to voice those concerns. And those concerns were then taken seriously. And, you know, they were looking for for a solution to that. And it was really great because this was something that we had already been working on. And so take us back to like pre-2016. You're on set. What were those conversations like that you saw happening around these intimate scenes? Were they as awkward as I'd imagined them to be between the actors and the director? I mean, I think intimacy scenes have always sort of had an element of, of awkwardness to them. And I think part of it is because there wasn't a lot of work done to separate personal and professional. And I think that a lot of that comes from actor training, you know, where actors were being told for years to, you know, be as open as possible, be as available as possible, be as vulnerable as possible. You should have no boundaries. You should be able to do anything and everything. And of course, as an actor, you know that if you don't do that, someone else who wants the part right behind you is going to. So there's a huge amount of pressure to do whatever people are asking you to do without much thought of what's happening inside your own body, what's happening with your emotions and what's happening with your mental health. Yeah. And you know, so much of what I imagine is going through an actor's head is that like, I'm supposed to be like giving myself up to a scene. I'm an artist. I'm supposed to do whatever I want. And they don't think they can have boundaries in that space. But what you're saying is that, no, you should have boundaries. So what have you been hearing from actors now that they have people like you advocating for them? Are they feeling like their scenes are maybe even better because they have boundaries? Yeah. And I think we're also, you know, at heart, we're also choreographers. That's what our role is. We're there to help choreograph sex scenes. And I think that there's been sort of like like a misperception here about the fact that we like lots of us experience intimacy in our personal lives means that we can recreate that for an audience, but that's two very different things. And I think, you know, experiencing it in your personal life versus um, storytelling it for an audience, like it's, it's just so, it's just so different. And I think, you know, one of the things that we are here to do is to create choreography so that we are telling that story as dynamically and and accurately as, as possible. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're grilling Lizzie on the filming of those notorious Bridgerton sex scenes. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love and support. 
support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Hey, this is Paris Hilton. Last year, I revealed the story of my abuse at Provo Canyon School. Since then, thousands of survivors have come forward. Now, I'm on a mission to expose the truth of the entire industry. In this weekly investigative podcast, me and my host, Rebecca Mellinger and Caroline Cole, will examine one infamous teen treatment facility each season. First up, Provo Canyon School. This one is personal. When you first get there, you have to experience girls screaming, locked up, peeing themselves, in the hallway sleeping. And you're like, where am I? Holy heck, this is not what I expected. Listen to Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us your attention. We need everything you got fast. Waiting on reparations. We be the illest podcast. Tune in every Thursday. Politics and wordplay. We fight for the people because they got us in the worst way. From the hill to Brazil, Bombay to Kanye. From the left enclave to what the neocons say. Every Thursday, cop the heady conversation. And break us off with some bread because we waiting on reparations. Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We're talking with Lizzie Talbot, the intimacy coordinator on the set of Bridgerton. All right, so Lizzie, describe what went into filming Bridgerton. How much prep work was for these scenes, like a single scene? How much time did you put into planning them? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Full credit to Shondaland, they gave us that, which is amazing. Um, We had weeks before filming where we would break down every single scene um, into separate choreographed moments um, and really did a lot of table work around this. And so it was great to actually have that time. So we weren't just turning up and set and going, well, I don't know, we'll see what happens. You know, <laughs> no, we knew exactly what was happening at like all the time, which was so great. How did those creative meetings work? Like how, and not to be crass, I guess it's like, okay, we have, they're going to have sex. So who's like planning the type of sex? How is that even negotiated? <laughs> <laughs> so that is, Um, worked out between like uh, the director, myself and the actors, like we're all having that conversation. It's really important to understand what the director's creative vision is, because that's really what my role is there to serve as well. Um, You know, I want to be able to give the director what they want in the safest possible way. And so like, that's what really my role becomes um, is like a, a, like a choreographer, a collaborator, um, and also like down to the, like the less interesting and less exciting paperwork side of this, you know, we've got to work together to make sure that we have got the nudity riders signed in advance to make sure that everyone's safe and that we know what we're doing on the day. Mm-hmm. And I know Phoebe, the main actress in the, the work, she said that the first scene she shot for Bridgerton was actually a steamy sex scene, uh, her first day on set. So talk to us about the that. Library scene. The, li- the library like, scene. That was the first day. So how did you prepare for that, especially that being your first day at work? Because my first day of this job with Casey was not something like the library <laughs> scene. Let me tell you that. <laughs> so 
uh, I developed like a, uh, like a signaling system with Phoebe and Reggae that I knew that they were good to go. And so when we had that first scene, we tapped in, we did that signaling system. Uh, I knew that they were absolute pros at that point and they knew that they were what they were going to do the fun thing about that scene was not only was it the first one uh but it was also done at the reform club in london which was mm. a gentleman's club for years and has only let women in since 1980 1981 wow. so it felt super cheeky to be doing like a scene <laughs> of female sexual pleasure in a gentleman's club and i was like at that point Oh, I see you, Shonda. <laughs> uh, the power, the power yeah, of that scene. I see where this cheekiness is going for the next nine months. So that really set the tone, which was fun. Wow, that's amazing. So, okay, we have to talk about the three-minute sex montage from Bridgerton. It's one of the biggest talking points around the series. Was this one of the most ambitious undertakings for you as an intimacy coordinator? Because... Honestly, it seems just as ambitious choreography-wise as a fight scene in a Marvel movie. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, you know, we were we were up ladders, we were outside, we were inside, we were in the rain, we were in beds, we were in the Temple of the Four Winds. We were everywhere. We were by lake. Yeah, it was a bit of an intimacy circus. When I read the script, I, I was sort of reading it down. I was like, okay, so there's an intimacy scene there. Oh, and there. Oh, and, and there as well. Oh, and, and oh, it's still going. And I remember reading the script going, wow, we are going to be busy. And that's not <laughs> what you expect from a Regency show. When I first was emailed about this show, I was expecting something akin to like Pride and Prejudice, Sense yes. and Sensibility. You know, there might be, you know, like a momentary passionate kiss, um, you know, potentially something that insinuated intimacy. Mm-hmm. But in no way did I think that we would be doing oral sex <laughs> up a ladder in the middle of the world. I mean, there should be the Olympics of what you coordinated there because, baby, let me tell you, I was exhausted. I had to get some water. I was just thinking the whole time, like, how the hell did they even think of all of this? Like, I had mm. never looked at a library ladder and thought, oh, yes, oral sex. That's where that's happening. <laughs> Chris Van Dusen, he's a genius. There we go. There we go. Well, you bring up Jane Austen. And whenever I hear the name Jane Austen, I think of the one and only Kira Knightley. And she recently came forward and said she won't shoot any more sex scenes with any male directors, which I thought was so fascinating. So what are your thoughts about this? Like, do you think this is a a direction maybe in the right way? Or or how do you think how these actors are handling these situations now? Um, I think... It certainly changed with the introduction of intimacy coordinators. Because, for example, Phoebe does a a very complex and, and difficult scene where she's doing a solo scene of Daphne's first masturbation experience. And she actually had a male director for that scene. But one of the really great things was that I really believe that he understood like what the sensitivities around that scene were. And, you know, I collaborated with, with Phoebe, you know, in detail, in depth um, for that scene to make sure that um, she felt ownership of it. Um, and I think that's a really important experience for an actor. And, you know, I have never been in the situation that Phoebe was in, but I think like as a woman, it would just, I'd have such a relief to know that like you were there, another woman was there in between me and a male director to just be like, we're in this together. I've got you. So I really, I do. I think I would need that. Yeah. And, you know, I spent a lot of time with Phoebe by that point, you know, we'd done, I think 
Yeah, that was episode three. We actually shot all of Castle Howard in the first month or two. So that's the entire Taylor Swift montage was done and completed um, by like the end of August, maybe. Okay, well, that explains why they had such great chemistry the entire (laughs) show, because they set it off with, you know, having literal (laughs) chemistry. (laughs) Right. And so by the time that we got to um, that particular scene, you know, we knew each other pretty well at that point. Um, she knew that she could come to me with anything that she needed and, you know, we, we worked together, but it was incredibly brave of Phoebe to take that scene on because you're not working with anyone else, you know, with, with other intimacy scenes, you've got a partner to sort of like bounce ideas off, to, to collaborate with, to create choreography with. Um, but on that scene, you know, you're on your own and, uh, you know, there's, there's no one, there's no one else in bed with you. Uh, so it was an incredibly brave and and very vulnerable thing that that Phoebe took on. So I have so much respect for her. I mean, I have so much respect for her. I'm I'm upping my cardio these days to keep, be at her level. To be honest. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you know, before this, I told you, uh, Lizzie, that I called my best friend and said that you were coming on, and she was super super excited. And you know, the reason why I did that is because so many people are loving these sex scenes so 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 much. So, what's work like for you now? Are you getting people banging down your door asking you to coordinate their their movies these days in TV shows? It's certainly picked up. Um, I think because of COVID, uh, there's so many um, more sort of like hurdles to jump at this time. I've been really interested to see if we hadn't have had lockdown, what it would look like. I know that a lot of people are delaying intimacy scenes at the moment till much further on down the line. And I think the the interesting thing is, is that I don't really believe that any of the, the cast or crew knew how massive uh, it was going to be. Um, one of the really interesting things is we knew that we had a really solid Brazilian fan base, which was really cool. They supported us throughout the whole like filming period. Uh, they were always sending really encouraging messages. So we knew that we had like a very specific fan base in Brazil who were just loving so hard on the cast, which is really lovely to see. But honestly, I think today the stats came out that, you know, it's been seen by 82 million households. And you know, when we were filming, I don't believe any of us had a, had any idea that that would be the case. Okay, Lizzie, this seems like a no-brainer question, but uh, will you be back for Bridgerton season two? Because I have to assume a bunch more sex is happening. <laughs> have you read the book? I haven't read the book, but my one of my colleagues has, and yes, there's more sex. <laughs> there certainly is. There certainly <laughs> is. Can you give us any insight into that? Is there some sort of sex scene that you're looking forward to choreographing? <laughs> thing is is that you know like i know that they take the books and the tv shows in different directions because not everything that was in the book was in the tv series and the tv series is in the book um so that's always really exciting because you don't know which pieces that they've taken and which storylines are going to be completely new so um yeah i'm really really looking forward to, to what happens there all right. Well, you know, Lizzie, before we go, first of all, I have to say thank you so much. This has really made my week. And also, <laughs> I want to advocate that if you were in the writer's room at all for season two, that the Duke of Hastings should marry me and that I should be coming <laughs> on to Bridgerton season two. So that's it. That's all I have to say. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, I'm just going to say, I think there's a cue. I think there's a line. <laughs> 
<laughs> I bet there, yeah. If my Instagram messages are anything to go by. Oh my God. It's mostly turned into like a proxy proposal account for, for reggae at this point. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I mean, that man, literally, I had to get water. I had to get water. So anyway, well, Lizzie, thank you so, so much. Thank you for your work. Thank you for sharing space with us. And thank you for giving us Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Guys, we have since learned that the Duke of Hastings, Reggae Jean Page, will not be back for season two. Um, it's very heartbreaking, <laughs> but we're hopeful. <laughs> but we're hopeful that Lizzie will at least be back to make sure that there is still some good sex in Bridgerton. You know, I'm, I'm sure she'll be there for us. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> also, the other season one lead, Phoebe Denever, is now dating Pete Davidson, which is kind of wild, but they seem happy. So good for them. Good for them. <laughs> Next, we're talking about another fantastic series, Shrill. The series returned to Hulu for its final season last month. The show developed a massive following among both fans and critics because it brought us something we haven't seen before, a fat positive heroine portrayed by the amazing A.D. Bryant. We got a chance to chat with series creator and executive producer Lindy West ahead of its release. Hi, Lindy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. So first, we just want to say congratulations on the season. We're big fans and so excited for it to come back. But it's also bittersweet because it's the final season. You know, the show is obviously very personal for you. It's based on your memoir. So what's the process of saying goodbye to it been like? Oh, great question. I mean, it's definitely bittersweet. We never wanted this to be like a 13 season show or something. We always envisioned it as kind of a, a small, compact little story. But I think ideally we would have loved to do four seasons. So it ended slightly prematurely. We did have some other places we wanted to take the character, but also like getting to do three seasons is so amazing and such a gift. So I don't know. I feel like very happy with what we made and getting to make it at all is so rare, you know, and obviously I'm going to really miss all these characters and I'm going to miss the whole team because everyone is so special. But I also feel, you know, I, I, I realized this, you know, the other day that Shrill the book came out five years ago next week. And now this week, five years later, the show wow. is closing. Yeah. And it feels very kind of clean and beautiful in this way. And it's making me feel very excited about the future. Like I have this pause all of a sudden and I don't quite know what I'm going to do next. And I have a bunch of options and I get to really look around and think about what I really actually want to do. And that's really exciting. So I'm obviously sad that the show's over, but I'm like very energized and really excited about the future. And so grateful for the, you know, the show has opened up so many opportunities for me. So, you know, I got, I got no complaints. So after three seasons, do you still feel like Annie's sort of an extension of you? Or do you think that she's sort of taken on a life of her own? I mean, she's definitely taken on a life of her own in a in a way that I love so much. It's been so fun to sort of set her free and watch her grow. But I mean, there's certainly, yeah, I, I'm still really sentimentally attached to her. And she started, she grew from me. You know, she started right. from... She's from your a little baby. piece of me. Your baby who's <laughs> also your age. <laughs> she my baby. My she's my adult baby. Um, <laughs> you know, it just happens kind of inevitably when you have a whole team of writers and you have a whole production team and you have especially an actor and AD is not just an actor, but she's in the room writing the show and really driving the narrative. And so of course 
Annie becomes so much uh, 80 too. And it's, it's like, it's been really exciting, but there are some parts of her life that I still feel very close to. And, and it's, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a perfect combination of like distance and closeness. Like I feel, I just feel very proud of her. Mm. Okay. So you did touch on this, but you know, it's been reported. You guys didn't know that this would be the last season when you started working on it. So are you happy with the way the show ends? You know, for all of us who love Annie and Fran so much, will we be happy? I hope so. I mean, you know, it ends, it doesn't end with a big, you know, bow on it. It's like, because we didn't know when we were writing it or shooting it, we found out during editing. So we were able to kind of tweak the editing a little bit, but this was intended to be a season finale, not a series finale. But I actually, I I do like where it lands because it lands in this very naturalistic place where it's like, as though you, we sort of like dropped into these people's lives and now we're just winking back out, which feels true to the show. And there, there is a little, there's not closure, but there is sort of, you do feel, you know, without spoiling anything, it lands in a place of like Annie and Fran's friendship, you know, really being the foundation for both of their lives. And I think that that is where we started too. And it's, it feels right. And I had this realization that there's something nice to me about not ending with like a wedding or whatever people usually do, because it, it makes me feel like all of these characters are just still living. You know what I mean? Like it, it feels like the story continues, even if we're not seeing it, um, which is just me being sentimental, but it's nice. I like to think that like Ruthie and Maureen are still just hanging around the office and you know what I mean? <laughs> Like, I I, want to believe that that's, that everything goes on, you know? It's sweet. All right. Well, we're going to be talking even more about this right after the break. NFL fans, nothing compares to being there live. What a play! Now the crowd is alive. And the NFL's biggest season ever is now ready for the postseason. It's playoff time. We got to win. NFL playoff tickets are on sale now. Don't miss your chance to be a part of the postseason action on the road to Super Bowl 56. Visit NFL.com slash tickets for a complete listing of games. That's NFL.com slash tickets. What's up? What's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network. The NFL Podcast Network is your home for all things football. Do you love hearing analysis around the league with a touch of mirth? Or maybe you enjoy breaking down X's and O's in the college scouting scene. Do you breathe, sleep, and eat fantasy football? Perhaps you love the funny headlines that emerge each week. What if you want in-depth news coverage with reporters? 
Or what if you want to know exactly how each team got its name? Well, you're in luck because the NFL Podcast Network has a show for everybody. Our vast network has the NFL's best talent bringing you right into the action each week. There's always room to add more football into your podcast rotation, and our vast group of shows will surely keep you up to date with everything you need to know surrounding the National Football League. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We're talking with Lindy West about the final season of Shrill. Now, you told the Seattle Times that the theme of the final season is intimacy, which is ironic given that this is something a lot of us, you know, might have been lacking in our lives this last year. So what was the process like to write and film this season? It was definitely very complicated because of COVID, like everyone's career became complicated. In certain ways, like there were some advantages. Like I was shocked by how productive and vibrant the writer's room felt even doing it over Zoom. Such a wonderful touchstone to be able to like come together and and do this creative thing every day and, you know, feel kind of normal. And you could feel the relief in everyone just getting to see each other's faces every day. Like it was so nice. And it, it absolutely like got me through uh, spring slash summer 2020. I mean, it was like, and when you're not sitting around in a room, like goofing off and eating snacks, you're like, turns out twice as productive. Like we, <laughs> yes, <laughs> shocking. it was amazing how fast we were just like cranking out scripts. The ideas were like popping off. It was so good. <laughs> I mean, to the point where we had multiple conversations that were like, should no one ever do an in-person writer's room ever again? Because it was really, uh, really like it flowed. It was easy. I don't know. And then shooting was very complicated. We had to have, um, you know, as few people on set as possible. So I didn't go to Portland at all for the shoot. And in seasons one and two, I was there every day. Um, but this was like, we had just one designated producer on set every day. And so it was like, that's the set person and they, they're doing the COVID protocols. And it was like, you know, it was challenging in a lot of ways. We had to change certain storylines, like the parents, Annie's parents only appear on FaceTime because, you know, we didn't want to make Daniel and Julia travel. AD said this the other day, it really did create this kind of more intimate feeling to the season because most of the scenes are just one or two people in a room because you can't have these big set pieces. It's a lot of, you know, relationship talk and and intimacy between friends and romantic intimacy. And it kind of shrunk the world down in this way that actually I think turned out really nice. Oh, I love that. So, you know, when the show first started out, it was really branded as being about Annie's life and experiences as a fat woman. But you've said that that's less of a focus this season. Was that just a creative choice where the story and the character took you? Or does it have anything to do with the fact that, you know, we as a society have made a slight progress on body positivity? Or is that just hilariously too optimistic? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's probably, probably too optimistic. But, like, we've certainly made some progress. But... It's more just that I think Adi and I both are tired of being um, just flattened into fat 
person, you know, and I think both of us are hungry to, to be more than that and to really put our personhood on screen and, and Annie's personhood in a much richer way. And I, we did do that in seasons one and two. And there is body stuff in season three, because obviously it's always a part of your life because it's imposed upon you all the time by the society around you. But it's not like when I'm alone, I'm like, well, here I am fat <laughs> in my room. You know, it's like I am a person. And so it, it was important to us, deeply important to walk that line and make sure that we're like respecting and addressing the social challenges that fat people face and the reality of that while also letting Annie blossom and be a full person. So we tried to do both. And I would say it's out of personal, um, you know, personal experience and personal yearnings for, for the, to make the kind of representation that we, that we want as fat yeah. people. You know, this is kind of off topic, but do you think the pandemic has changed how we feel about our bodies and how we judge them possibly for the better or is it for Maybe. the worst, a mixed bag, et cetera? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's going to be for the worse. <laughs> For right now, it feels like for the better. But like, I am loving these Will Smith Instagram posts. But you know, it's just going to be like one big lose your baby weight. But it's going to, you know, there's just you know what? The, that that already happened. And I got to, when when it was like, this is the perfect time to lose all that weight while you're stuck at home. And, right, I, and, it didn't and I blocked them immediately. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's interesting because I think there are probably a lot of people who have never seen their bodies change in this way who are now experiencing that. But also, it's probably just going to be like massive windfall for the diet industry. Um, right. Yeah, right. absolutely. They need more money. Depression. Everyone, they need more money. <laughs> they need it. They're struggling. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I mean, hopefully, every I believe in progress, and I believe that we gradually, gradually, gradually move forward. And so, hopefully, there's a little more empathy for the fact that sometimes it's hard to have a body and to like absolutely control what your body does. Cause you know, and also I hope people feel a little bit more kinder to their bodies. You know what I mean? I think we, cause I, all of our bodies like got us, got us through this. Um, I feel a lot of gratitude toward my body and I, my body's thriving in COVID. Like, Oh my God, pre COVID. I was just like on a plane every day. I was always uh -huh. like, Ugh. and now I just like, there's nothing to do but go for a walk. So I don't know. <laughs> my my back is feeling great. I'm sleeping. Like oh, I'm jealous, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it won't last, but so you know, this was your first foray into TV, which I think we can all agree was super successful. And next, I'm hearing that you're writing something for Shonda Rhimes. What what can you tell us about that? Yeah, I, well, it's an anthology show. So I just, my husband and I wrote one episode together. It's called Notes on Love. And it's an anthology show about love and relationships. Very broad. And they, I, I love working with them. They're so great. And they just gave us total freedom. They were like, any genre you want, any like tone, you can have any, just as long as it's about love and relationships in some way. So we wrote like a very strange 
uh, I don't, I mean, I don't, I pr- I'm probably not allowed to talk about it because I don't even know <laughs> how, like where we are in the process, but um, the script is done and I'm obsessed with it and I think it's really good. And it was, I think we're going to make it. I don't know. I think that Shonda just gets to do whatever she wants. So yeah, I'm pretty positive. Mm, yeah. I'm pretty positive. <laughs> That's how it works. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I mean, honestly, like, I, I don't know, this isn't like the Shonda rhymes Yelp, but like, um, uh, 10 out of 10 recommend working with Shondaland <laughs> if you can. They're so incredible to work with and like so supportive and fun and yeah, really, oh, really great creative experience. That's amazing so, and, and so exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, Lindy, thank you so much for joining us today. So great to meet you both. Thank you so much. We can't wait to see what Lindy brings us next. But guys, there are now rumors A.D. Bryant may be leaving SNL. And if that happens on top of losing Shrill, it's just going to be a lot to handle, Shyla. <laughs> I'm sad. <laughs> All right, that's it for today. Come back and join us tomorrow when we'll have two more awesome convos to revisit. And remember, Reggae Jean Page might be gone from the Bridgerton set, but hopefully Lizzie Talbot remains. Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of what you love about BuzzFeed, coming to you daily. Peacock streaming new movies every week at PeacockTV.com. We'll have the biggest movies from the Twilight Saga to Selma and Bad Boys 1 and 2. Bad Boys for life. All your favorite movies like Die Hard, The Matrix Trilogy, and Good Will Hunting. That's the good stuff. Plus, movies the whole family will love. How to Train Your Dragon, the Harry Potter film series, and Shrek 1 and 2. It's so good to be home. With tons of blockbuster hits, you can't not watch. Sign up at PeacockTV.com. Conquer your New Year's resolutions with the Before Breakfast podcast. In each bite-sized daily episode, you'll learn how to make the most of your time with practical tools to help you feel less busy and get more done. Listen to Before Breakfast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Look through your children's eyes and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.